name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So the goal of our teaching time these, uh, these few weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday is that, that I want to show you that the coming of Jesus is something that the Father had planned from the very beginning, and it's something that uh, he had promised us, and it's something that he told us was going to happen, and he gave us lots of pictures of it. And last week we talked about how Isaac's sacrifice in Genesis 22, I believe it was, is, is a picture of Jesus substituting his life for ours, like the little video just, just taught. You remember, if you were here last week, if not, you can listen to that message. It's on YouTube and it's, it's also on our podcast. But how the ram caught in the thicket was to represent Jesus. And his life was, a, was atoned, was used to atone for Isaac's life and for the forgiveness or, or, or just replacing Isaac. And I gave you five reasons last week why I, be- why I believe that picture was so clearly pointing us to Jesus who would come centuries later. This morning, I want to talk to you about another picture in the Old Testament, a story that's a real event, but also I think is a really, really clear picture of what God had promised to do. And I'm talking about, of course, the Passover. And uh, so this morning, I'm, I'm going to start off by dividing this talk into two parts, mainly, that the Passover was a real event, and then that the Passover was a picture. Let's talk about the Passover as a real event. Just in case you don't know what the Passover was, Israel had been held in captivity by Egypt for 400 years. They had been slaves, and I think they'd pretty much given up on, on God rescuing them. But God, it, the time had come for God to rescue them, and he raised up Moses. And Moses has come back and told the Pharaoh, hey, it's time. You got to let my people go. And the Pharaoh would not do it. And uh, for nine times, God, every time he refused, God said, well, look, at if you refuse, here's what's going to happen. And he sent a pretty terrible plague nine different times. And the plagues include, if I remember, blood, uh, water turning to blood. And there was a flies and there was fire and hail. And there was all kinds of things like that that God did for nine times. And one of the neat things during all that period was Israel was kept in a land called the land of Goshen. That's where they lived. And they worked from there. God protected the land of Goshen. Apart from anything they did. So when the plagues came, Goshen was spared. Then they come to the last plague. I say it's the last plague because God said, after this, you're going to let my people go. And he pronounces this last plague. And so I want us to read about the plague. So if you have your Bible, turn to uh, Exodus chapter 12. And, uh, and, and it's a lengthy passage. And I may choose to not read it all. But we're going to just start uh, Genesis. I mean, Exodus 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month is to be the beginning of months, months for you. It is the first month of your year. So God says the Jewish calendar is to start right here. This is the first month. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, then that person or neighbor nearest to them are to select one based on the combined number of people. And you should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. 
And you must have an unblemished animal, a year old male. And you may take it either from the sheep or the goats. And you are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. So they were to choose it on the 10th, keep it till the 14th. And then the whole assembly of the community of Israel was to slaughter the animals at twilight. And they must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their houses where they eat them. And they are to eat the meat that night. And they should eat it, roast it over fire, along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw are cooked, boiled in water, but only roasted over the fire, its head as well as its legs and in, inner organs. You must not leave any of it until the morning. Any part of it is left until the morning must be burned. And here is how you must eat it. You must eat it dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. And this is why, verse 12, I will pass, this is the 10th plague, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. And the blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Drop down to verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flocks according to your family. Slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in a basin, and then brush the lintel of the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. But none of you may go out of your house, out your door in his house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, he will pass over the door, uh, pass over that door and not let the destroyer enter your house to strike you. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he's promised, you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our homes. So the people knelt low and they worshiped. And then the Israelites went and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Now at midnight, the Lord struck the very, every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat uh, on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon to the firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up. He, along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house with someone that wasn't a house with someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, get out immediately from among my people. People, both you and the Israelites go uh, worship the Lord as you've said take your flocks and your herds as you've asked and leave and also bless me you probably caught all of that but let me go back through it again and, and let me highlight what happens that night God says this last plague is going to be I'm going to kill the firstborn in the land and I'm going to kill the firstborn of everything every living creature in the land he says of all the humans whether you're rich or poor I'm going to kill them and listen to this I'm going to kill yours as well as the Egyptians I'm going to kill the firstborn of everything he even says he's going to kill the firstborn of all the livestock so it makes me believe that he's killing the firstborn of every living creature the firstborn mouse the firstborn dog, the firstborn cat. I mean, I, I'm speculating that because he doesn't say it, but he's, he says he's going to kill the firstborn of everything. And he, and he talks about livestock. So I'm assuming it's everything. The firstborn is going to die that night. And Israel could save itself. And they could save themselves, he says, by putting the blood of a, of a lamb that would be 
sacrifice, like the atonement video we just watched, would be sacrificed for them. And they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were to put it on the lentil and on the doorpost of their home. A lamb was to be chosen by each family. If the family was too small for a, for a whole lamb, they could combine families based on what everybody would eat. The lamb was to be perfect without any spots or defects. It was to be a male less than a year old. The lamb was to be separated from the 10th to the 14th and killed on the day of preparation. The blood was to be placed on, uh, I already said that. The, the lamb was to be roasted. The, this, this Passover animal was to be roasted fully on a fire. Couldn't be boiled. It wasn't to be eaten raw. It was to be roasted with, with its innards and everything within it. Uh, it was to be eaten at night uh, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And, and the unleavened bread was to symbolize the hurry and the, the care, having the staff when they were eating and dressed in their, their coats and ready to go was to picture the fact that God was getting ready to let them go. And so this meal was more than just about the Passover, as I'll mention in a moment, but it, it was bigger than that. The lamb uh, could not be eaten. We talked about that. Um, so, okay, I'm just going through this. So the Lord, the, they were not to leave the house. They were to stay in the house. And uh, the, the destroyer, I think, is what, uh, what Moses called it. The destroyer would pass through the land, and he would see the blood on these doorposts, and he would pass over that particular house. When I see that, well, let me read it, 12, 13. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you, which is why it is the Passover. And indeed, that's what happened that night. The destroyer came throughout all of Egypt and the firstborn in every home that did not have blood on the door, uh, the firstborn in that house died. And it said that there wasn't a house because, you know, most houses had children there. I mean, most Egyptians had children, so their firstborn died. And if they happened to be a firstborn, they would have died too, right? I'm a firstborn. My, my son Caleb is a firstborn. And so if we were in two different places, both of us would have died if there was not blood on the, on the lentils of our house. And at the end of that night, even in the middle of the night, the Pharaoh calls for Moses and says, get out and take your, take your flocks, get out, leave. And, and this was a letting them go. Now, God told him this was such an, this is such an important event. I don't want you ever to forget it. And so he, he commemorates that day. Look at verse 14, which we skipped over. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You must eat unleavened bread for seven days. So God's, this is before it's ever happened now. Okay, this, it hasn't happened yet. God's telling them after today, this is what you're to do. For seven days, you're to commemorate this. Now, remember... The Passover was coming that night. I mean, they were to take the animal that day, right? So this, isn't, this is what you do from now on. Seven days you remember this. On the first day, you must remove yeast from your house. Whoever eats what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day. So they commemorated this week with a beginning gathering and an ending gathering. Uh, no work may be done on these days except for the preparation of the people to, uh, to eat. So it was a celebration. It was kind of like a holiday. You may do only that. You just to get ready for this, he says. And you are to observe the festival of unleavened bread because on this very day I brought your military divisions out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute, which is why the Jews still celebrate, right, brother? This is why they still celebrate the Passover, because they're doing what God had told them to do. You're to eat unleavened bread, he says, um, in the first month from the 
uh, you are to eat unleavened bread in the first month from the evening of the 14th day of the month until the evening of the 21st day. Yeast must not be found in your house for seven days. If anyone eats something leavened, that person, whether a resident alien or, na uh, or a native of the land, should be cut off from the community of Israel. Do not eat anything uh, leavened, eat unleavened bread all in all your homes. It was an important day for Abraham's family. And they were to always remember. This was a real event. That's my point. I just want you to see the Passover was something that really happened, okay? But the Passover was a real event. But the Passover, and this is, I guess, the heart of the message for us as mostly Gentiles in this room. This is the, it's a, it's a picture. And it's a picture of something other than what just happened that night. The, the Passover is a parable. The Passover is a... Uh, a graphic, if you would, that was supposed to illustrate something that would happen many years later. It is God's promise that he's going to pass over our lives and he's going to provide a Passover lamb for us so that death will not be required of us. Now, I want to give you two reasons why I believe this is true, why I believe that the Passover was meant to be a picture years later. It's meant to be a picture, I think, first of all, because the New Testament tells us that, all right? Now, that ought to be good enough. We should end there, right? But 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole patch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened patch. You'll, you'll catch the symbolism there, right, to the Passover. Remember how they were to get rid of all the leaven out of their houses, and they were to have just unleavened bread? He says, Hey, you're to, you're to, let me read it again. Uh, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. Why? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with the old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread, uh, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here the Apostle Paul says that the Passover lamb is the Lord Jesus. That, that, that was a picture of, of him. Remember, the Passover lamb was a substitute for the Israelites and for anybody, any firstborn. He was a substitute. So Jesus is our substitute. He's the one who's going to die for us. The second reason the New Testament, another place where the New Testament, I think, tells us this would be when John the Baptist Remember John the Baptist uh, is, is introducing Jesus to the world at his baptism and all that. And Andrew is following John. And, and remember John says to Andrew, behold the Lamb of God. I just found this out this week. But John the Apostle is the only New Testament writer who points to Jesus as the Lamb of God. And I think I might be, I think I might be right. And this is from memory and y'all know my memory. But I think it's like 30 different times in the book of Revelation that John the Apostle calls Jesus the Lamb of God. He is the one that continually points us to Jesus as this atoning sacrifice uh, for us. And if all that's not enough, if all that's not enough, on the Passover night, where, where the day before Jesus is to die, and they're eating the Passover together in Matthew 26, and uh, we'll, 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 we'll experience this in just a little bit. Jesus took the bread this is Matthew 26, 26. Jesus took the bread of the Passover that night, broke it, gave it to his disciples, said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup after giving thanks. He gave it to them, said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is literally saying, I am the Passover meal. 
This Passover meal is really about me, and I want you to picture me in this meal from here on out. And this broken bread, this broken matzah, and this cup that we're drinking, this is me, my broken body, broken for you, and my shed blood being shed for you, atoning, being sacrificed for you. Now, I said there's two reasons why I think that this is a picture. That's one of them. I think the New Testament tells us so. But the other one is because of the symbolism. It's just too precise not to be picturing Jesus all throughout the New Testament. The, the, the pictures that we get, the symbolism in those pictures actually keep pointing us to Jesus. I told you last week that nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that Isaac's sacrifice with the ram is a picture of Jesus. It, it doesn't compare one and one anywhere that I can, if I'm, I think I'm right on this. Nowhere in the Bible does it point us to that. But the symbolism is so strong. God's people throughout the centuries have said, boy, that's a picture for us. That's pointing us to the Lord Jesus. That's not the case here. The symbolism is so great that even the New Testament writers point us to it. So let me show you. The Passover lamb was to be without blemish and without defect. He wasn't to have, he wasn't to have any problems. The Bible tells us that Jesus was a lamb without blemish or defect. And what it's referencing is the fact that Jesus is without sin. And I've, I've told us this so many times, but I, I guess I'll always tell us this, right? Never, ever, ever, ever forget, everyone, that Jesus was not a sinner. The reason why Jesus could atone for my sin, for yours, Earl, is because Jesus never sinned. He was the Lamb of God without blemish, without spot, without, without sin. Here's another comparison. The Lamb of God was to have no broken bones. Exodus chapter 12, verse 47. I don't think I read you that. But his bones were not to be broken. And, and so when Jesus is dying on the cross, you remember this? Maybe you don't. Let me tell you. He's, he's dying on the cross. And, and, and dying by crucifixion was a long thing. It didn't happen right away. And you know the story. You died by asphyxiation. You didn't die from blood loss, everyone. You died from asphyxiation because your lungs would collapse on yourself and you couldn't breathe when you couldn't hold the weight of your body up anymore. And so to breathe, you have to pull yourself up on the nails. And that became too painful and you became too tired. And at some point you just couldn't breathe anymore and you died of asphyxiation. Well, you remember that, uh, that it's on the day of preparation. The Jews want Jesus dead by, by the Passover. They want him dead by the Passover. And so uh, they, they, they go to break their legs. And so they break the legs of the two guys on either side of Jesus. But when they come to Jesus, they don't break his legs because he's already dead. And they stab him with a spear to confirm that. And water comes out. And, and so they say, yeah, he's, he's dead. You know, and they don't break his bones. Now, John gives us, John the apostle gives us a commentary on that. And this is what he says. These things happen so that the scripture might, might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. You see the symbolism. John, John sees it and he's pointing us to it. Here's a third one. The Passover lamb will be killed and his blood shed for others. The innocent blood of the lamb was to be shed on the doorpost. He was to substitute for us. Well, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with the perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. There's Peter pointing us to the without defect or blemish, right? But he's also pointing that to us that we are redeemed. We're saved. We're forgiven because of the work of Jesus, because he shed his blood. He was the sacrifice or the substitute for us. And so Peter points us to that. 
The Passover lamb was to be killed on the day of preparation for Passover. This is still a little confusing for me, and, and, but I'm still going to make this point. John 19.14 says uh, it was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. And then he told the Jews, here is your king. Now, verse 31, since it was the day of, pa uh, of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross. I just told you that, so they requested Pilate to break the legs, right? So the Passover lamb killed on the preparation day. Jesus killed on the preparation day. Passover, here's another one. The Passover lamb could only be killed in Jerusalem. Now, this, is not, this is not a requirement that Jesus gave us or that God gave the Jews there at that first Passover, but it was something that in the law, in Deuteronomy, Moses would say that the Passover lamb couldn't just be killed in the city where you lived. Let me read it to you. This is 16.5 of Deuteronomy. You are not to sacrifice the Passover animal in any of the towns the Lord your God is giving you. The sacrifice, sacrifice the Passover lamb animal only at the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell. And that's talking about the temple. Wherever the temple or the tabernacle is, that's where you're to sacrifice the lamb. And I'm, I'm assuming, I'm speculating here, but I'm assuming that Moses gave that requirement so that one day Jesus would be sacrificed on Mount Moriah, the place where Abraham said, this place shall be called God shall provide, or God has provided, right? And so to make sure that Jesus would be sacrificed there, they have this law that says you have to sacrifice the Passover lamb in, in Jerusalem. So you remember this, don't you? Where, where was Jesus when he was 12 years old? Going to Jerusalem. Why? Because it was the Passover. Why? Because, because everybody traveled to Jerusalem. Because that's where the name of the Lord was. That's where the temple was. That's where the presence of the Lord was. And, uh, and so that's why they say Jerusalem would, would swell to over 2 million people during the Passover week. Because everyone was coming who wanted to participate in the Passover, then uh, they would have to come to uh, Jerusalem. And there's a lot of other comparisons that people make. I don't think they're nearly as, as strong like, like the Passover lamb was to be male. Jesus was male. Uh, they were both young. I mean, I, I, I've told you the ones that I think are most significant. So the Bible, so the reason why I'm saying to you this morning that the Passover is a picture of the promise that God is going to send Jesus is because the New Testament tells us he's the Passover lamb. And then because the symbolism is so rich and so specific and so precise and so pointed to in the New Testament that we know that that's, uh, that's true. I think it just cannot be with honesty denied that uh, this was to be a picture of what Jesus would do. But I want to I go beyond just the specific symbolism of Jesus in the Passover. And let me share with you, I've got three, there's three, the Passover symbolizes for us three great, great big realities that I think God wants to show, wanted to show them and wants to show us. All right, here's the first one. I believe these are pictures that are seen in the Passover. Here's, here's the first one. The Passover pictures for us the universality of the judgment of death. In other words, the Passover was to picture for the Israelites and for the, uh, for the um, Egyptians that we're all under the pronouncement of death. They would have known that. But this is, this is a, a plague that God doesn't rescue Israel from automatically. This is something that they have to respond to. And I think that God's trying to say to us that death is the result of sin. And it's not just for the Egyptians, but it's for the Israelites. And it's actually for all of us, all of us. God is making the point that this is, this is just Jimmy. Okay. So this is me 
this is my interpretation, okay? So you just, you search your heart, you ask the Spirit if I'm right. But I think it's picturing for us that in Adam all of us die. I think it's picturing for us that the wages of sin is death and we're all into the condemnation of death. What awaits for every one of us is, uh, is the end of our life. It's death. Death's going to overtake us. You know, um, you know, this week death overcame uh, Jean, George's sister. And death overcame Betty this week. Death's going to overcome all of us. And, and we're living in a world where we try to forget that. We try to, we try to minimize it. We try to make it more palatable. Uh, you know, my email, just to show you, George, I, in, in my email that I sent out Friday telling you about Jean's death and Betty's death, I had originally wrote that Betty died and Jean died. And as I read over it, I thought, no, that's just too hard. And I changed it to passed away. <coughs> You know, now I'm saying there's anything wrong with that. But I'm saying that's what we do. We, we try to take the starkness and the reality of death away. But listen, everyone. I mean, death is our lot because of sin. The Bible says that death came about because Adam sinned. And then it comes about because we all are sinners, right? So death is our lot. And I believe, I might be wrong, but I think God, by, by making Israel fall under this death curse, he was picturing for us the universality of death as a judgment against all of us because of our sin. If there were no Passover lamb in that first Passover, listen, then every firstborn would have died. Every Jewish firstborn person would have died if there wasn't a Passover lamb. So that's, that's the first big picture I think Passover is trying to paint for. The, the big reality that he wants you to see this morning, that we're all under this universal curse of death. Here's the second one. Passover pictures the primacy of faith. You could, uh, you could have that lamb in your house, and you could eat that lamb and you could, you know, you could do a lot of the things that God said. But if you didn't put the blood on the lentil and on the doorpost of your house that night, that destroyer from God that brought death would have killed you if you did not put the blood of the lamb on on the doorpost. And I think what God's picturing for us there is that you must believe him and take him at his word and you must act on his word. You must respond to his word. And that's what faith is, folks. I, without, and I say this verse a lot, and forgive me, but I, I, I think I, I, it just come to me. So without faith, you can't please God. Because, because faith is at the heart of what God is looking for. And what is faith? Faith is believing God and acting on his word. Taking his word seriously and responding and responding to it. The Old Testament credited Abraham with faith. Or credited, excuse me, credited with righteousness. Not because he obeyed God, but because he had faith. He believed God. But yet at the same time, James turns around in the New Testament and says, yeah, but you know Abraham's faith where he believed God? Do you remember this, what he did? He took his son up on the, on the Mount, on Mount Moriah and was going to actually take his life at God's command, but God stops him. So, you said, so, so James says, hey, faith is, yeah, it's believing God, but it's believing God in such a way that you respond in obedience to what God has called you to do. And for us today, that means if Jesus is the Passover lamb, in other words, if we don't have to, like the, like the atoning video said that we watched, if I don't have to take my own lamb and Jesus is the Passover lamb, I still must metaphorically apply the blood of Jesus to the, door, the metaphorical doorpost of my heart. 
I mean, listen, I'm not taking blood and painting my heart, <laughs> you know. And my, my heart doesn't have any doorposts as, as well as I know. But metaphorically, metaphorically, I am to take the blood of the Passover lamb and I am to apply it to my life. Maybe, I'm going to say more about this in just a moment, but if you don't know how to do that, we do that by, we do that by a response of our hearts is by prayer. And I'm not talking about this prescribed prayer. I'm talking about where your heart just cries out to God and says, God, man, I need, I need you to put the blood of Jesus on my heart so that I can be rescued from the impending death as a result of my sin. I need you to do that. And the third picture that uh, I believe that the Passover, the third big picture that God was painting that day with the Passover was that it's a new beginning. It's a day of new beginnings for us. The Passover marked the end of slavery for them. And that's why they had to dress up being ready to go. That's why they had to have sandals on their feet that night and all dressed up in the robe with their staff in their hand because God was picturing, hey, this is a new day and I'm about to set you free from your slavery. On March 27th of this month, just a few days from now, the Jewish community will celebrate Passover beginning on the 27th and ending on April 4th, Resurrection Sunday for us. The eight days of the festival, they'll remove all the leaven from their houses and, and they'll do what this and the centerpiece of all of that is the Seder meal. And at the Seder meal, when they're, when they're doing this, this is what they're instructed to say to themselves. We are to feel like our ancestors who are being set free from slavery. So in other words, when they take the Seder meal, and, and, and Zach, you could probably speak to this better than me, but, but they're, they're to feel like they're being set free from slavery, and it's a new day for them because that's exactly what God did for the Jewish community in Goshen in that first Passover. It was a new beginning. In just a short amount of time, he would constitute them into a, a nation, the nation of Israel. There'd be like a covenant there on Mount Sinai, and he would constitute them into a nation. And uh, the Passover for us, listen, I think God was picturing that day something for all of us. That the Passover lamb sacrificed for us is, is a new beginning for us. It's like a new start. And we've been set free. We're no longer slaves to the fear of death. We don't have to fear death. We have been set free from that. And, and so there it says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things. The new has come. He says, uh, and John, John would say this, therefore, um, or excuse me, Paul would say this, therefore is there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a new day. We've all been set free. This is a new beginning for all of us. And uh, so that's what the story of the Passover pictures for us today. It pictures a new start, a fresh start for each one of us. So, so what's the takeaway of all of this for us? And I have four takeaways for you this morning. That, uh, And again, some of this is going to be almost a repeat of some of the things I've said. But here's the takeaway. This is what I want you to do with what we've talked about, with this picture that God has given us. Here's the first one. Man, I want you to rejoice. And I want you to be encouraged that Jesus isn't an afterthought for God. That Jesus was the plan all along. Before the foundation of the world was ever laid, Jesus was in the heart of God and he was coming. God was coming to be the Passover lamb for us. To rescue us from the mess we would make with our sin. To rescue us from our disobedience to God that resulted in death. 
the loss of our lives. He was going to rescue that, rescue us from that. And this has been the plan of God from the very beginning to send Jesus to rescue us from our death, to save us and restore our lives. I want you to be encouraged this morning. I mean, I am. I'm encouraged knowing when we were singing today and Michael was leading us. I mean, I guess because this has all been at work in my heart all week long. I mean, I'm like, yeah, man, this has been God's plan from the beginning. Here's the second takeaway. Don't be afraid of death, anyone. Don't be afraid of dying anymore. Don't be afraid of dying, of laying down your life. Listen, some of us aren't going to see death coming. My father was like that. He, of course, had, all, not Alzheimer's, but he had a dementia that, you know, and his mind was really, was really gone when he died. Um, but my dad died in his sleep. So he went to bed that night. I mean, how much of his mind was, you know, active or what alert, I don't know. But he just died in his sleep. Sometimes you can be, you can have all your faculties. You don't see death coming. You just go to sleep at night and you don't wake up, right? Death comes to you like that. But for most of us, you're going to see death coming. It's going to be a few days out, maybe a month out, whatever. You're going to see it coming. It's just going to be a few minutes out, but you're going to see it coming and you know it's going to come. And when it does, here, I want you to not be afraid. Because the Passover lamb has rescued us. The, 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 the blood of the lamb is on the doorpost of my metaphorical heart. The, the metaphorical blood, if you would, of the lamb has been applied to my heart. And I don't need to be afraid of dying. Jesus is the first fruits. The Bible calls him that. That means he's the first to rise from the dead. But you know what? Everyone, every one of you is going to rise from the dead. Every one of you is going to live again. And this time you're never going to die again. You're going to live forever. The second death will have no, no hold on you. You know, I thought about this a lot. You know, why are we scared to die? It's FOMO. It's FOMO. You know what FOMO is? Hey, I got young, I got some young adults. <laughs> FOMO is the, for all you old people, it's the fear of missing out. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're afraid of death in, in so many ways. I'm talking about us as believers who have the, who have the blood of Jesus applied to our lives. We're, we're afraid of missing out. What am I going to miss out? Especially if I die young, right? Especially if I lay my life down for Christ in some way. You know, somebody's, somebody needs you to rescue them. And you know, your chances are you're going to lose your life and rescue them. You know, but what if I, what if I do that and I, and I die and I'm going to miss out on so much, right? So it's FOMO. I think that's one of the reasons why we're afraid of dying. But, but I thought about this this week and y'all, y'all see if this doesn't ring true with you. So let's just say your whole family's going on vacation. You have to work. And you got FOMO bad because you're not there with them when, uh, you know, when they're, when they're at vacation, you know. But you know what? After, after the vacation's over, it don't take any amount of time. That's washed away in the past. And all you're thinking about is what's coming in the future, right? Vacation next year, I'm going to be there on that cruise. Or I'm going to be at the beach. Or I'm going to be there. So listen, everyone. Whatever, whatever we lose. And by the way, you're not going to see all of your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren or your great-great. You probably won't even meet any of you. Very few of you are going to meet your great-great-grandchildren. Except for maybe your own Brenda. You know, uh, you know, you're not going to you're not going to meet them and you're not going to be in their part of their lives because you will die because it's, it's, it's the wages of sin. And you're going to you're going to miss out. But let me tell you something, just like after that's washed away and next year you, you start looking ahead. Right. In the resurrection, I promise you, everyone, we're not going to be looking back at what we missed. We're going to be looking forward at all that God has planned for us. 
all the good and wonderful and awesome things that lie ahead. And you're not going to miss anything behind. You're going to be looking for all that God has in front. Man, you know, some of y'all just smile, man. I mean, that is some good news right there. Here's the third thing, that, the third takeaway. Take Jesus as your Passover lamb. Here, here, I know I'm speaking to the choir, I hope anyway. I'm speaking to most of you who have done that. But if you're on live stream, or even if you're in this room, take Jesus as your Passover lamb. The lamb without blemish, without spot. The one who has no sin. The one who laid down his life, whose bones weren't broken, but whose blood was shed for you. Who, just like that first Passover lamb, was sacrificed for them so that they could live. So Jesus came and died for you so that you can live. You know, in the Passover feast, did you catch this? They were, they were required to eat every part of the lamb. Every part of the lamb. And what they did not eat or could not eat, I'm sure the Lord didn't want them to eat the intestines and that sort of thing. But they were to burn everything else. So none of it was to remain. They were to consume all of it. And, uh, and the blood was to be applied to the doorpost. I mean, I think that's a picture of what Jesus says to all of you. That we need to consume the Lord Jesus. He needs to be all in us. He's be all in us. Jesus would, would kind of take this metaphor of eating. You remember this in John 6? He said to his followers, because they wanted the bread and the, and the stuff, that the, the real, what do you call it, the, the, the food that he'd given them. They wanted him to do it again. You remember this? He said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. They were like, we don't want, what is he, cannibalism? Remember, and they walked away from him because of that. He wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was talking metaphorically about you letting Jesus be in you, all through you, letting him consume your life because you've consumed all of him. And here's my question to you today. I mean, is Jesus your Passover lamb? Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, Jesus, our Passover lamb. I tell you what, you've got to have a Passover lamb. You've got to take the Passover lamb. And I know I'm looking at all of you in this room, and I know so many of you have taken the Passover lamb. But listen, if you've never taken the young people, if you've never taken the Passover lamb, you, your parents taking it for you it doesn't work. It worked in Israel. If you were a firstborn, this is where all analogies fall short. If you were a firstborn and your parents put the blood on the doorpost, you got spared. Whether you had anything to do with it or not. It's not true with the new Passover. You've got to take the Passover lamb yourself. I mean, your parents taking the Passover lamb has greatly benefited you. But you know what? You've got to take the Passover lamb yourself. If you're on live stream, listen, if you've never taken, and I know somebody's listening today that told me they're going to be listening, and, and I know you haven't taken the lamb yet. You haven't taken the Passover lamb. So anybody on live stream, listen, this is your time to take Jesus as your Passover lamb. And the final thing, live your new life with Jesus in faithfulness and obedience. And the reason I'm, I'm saying this is because I'm going to go back to what Paul told the church at Corinth. Remember this? 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Using, using the Passover picture, here's what, here's, what Jesus, here's what Paul said. He said, we're to remove the leaven out of our lives. Remember, they were to get rid of the leaven. And the leaven, by the way, came to symbolize sin. 
That leaven, you know, when he says leaven, leaven's the whole lump. You know, you put a little bit of leaven, it affects the whole dough. A little bit of sin affects our whole lives. So, so this whole idea of leaven became, in the mind and heart of Jesus, even back to the New Testament, back to the Gospels, it became a picture of sin. And so here Paul is saying, hey, listen, remove the leaven of sin from our lives. Remove malice, remove evil, replace it with sincerity and with truth. Love Jesus and uh, love Jesus and, and, and fight against sin. Fight against evil in your lives. Here, here's the truth, everyone. Listen to me carefully. Taking Jesus into your life, faith is transformative. It leads us to obey. It leads us to change. It leads us to be like, like Jesus. Now, some would argue, well, Jimmy, aren't you just saying that it's faith plus your obedience that saves us? No, the Bible makes it really, really clear. It's not faith plus obedience that saves us. It doesn't, guys. I mean, the Bible is so clear that it's faith apart from obedience that saves us. But I guess maybe it's a semantics thing. We have to define faith. What is faith? The primacy of faith. Faith is believing, but it's believing in such a way that it transforms my life. I mean, it can't help but transform my life. And so Paul and other writers, I think it was John, not Paul, but Paul, John would say, if we say that we, God's in us, that we have the Passover lamb, and we don't obey, then we're lying. We're deceiving ourselves. We just deceived ourselves. Um, I don't know about you guys, but um, let me go back here a little bit because I want to change where I talked to you about this. When I first began to follow Jesus, I was a new person. I felt brand new. I mean, God was changing me and I wanted to live. I wanted to live for him. But you know, it wasn't long before I stumbled and it wasn't long before I fell. And it wasn't long before I just began to feel like, man, I'm a failure at all this. I mean, I can't, I can't really... Be, I, can't be, I can't really be perfect like God wants me to be perfect and like I wanted to be. I wanted to follow without falling, and yet I kept falling. And, uh, you know, I think I had the wrong understanding. I think the wrong understanding is, is not that my faith leads me to perfection, but my faith leads me to progress. It leads me to following after him, not to being perfect. And uh, if we don't have that clear, it's going to stumble us. If we don't have that clear, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna miss out. We're going to lose. So I want, to, I want to give you two verses. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. So when you trip up and stumble, the mercies of God start fresh tomorrow. Or how about this verse from John? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, this week I read something that was really sad. I didn't know it. At least I, if I had known it, I forgot it. But I was reading about Abraham, Abraham Piper. Abraham Piper is John Piper's son. Most of us know who John Piper is, but Abraham is an atheist. And he's not just an atheist, but he's a very vocal atheist with over 700,000 followers on TikTok. And his, and his TikTok feed is all about making fun of Christians. And then, and then I found out about Rebecca, I don't know what her last name is, but um, Matt Slick's daughter. If you don't know who Matt Slick is, he's the founder of CARM. Um, something research and apologetic Christian research and apologetics ministry and uh, his daughter Rebecca is also a well-known atheist and uh, somebody who's using her atheism uh, in an outward way and I read this from Rebecca's testimony and 
I mean, I've got, I had my own thoughts, but listen to what Rebecca said. This is her testimony. She says, I recently came across this entry in a workbook. I wrote it down when I was nine. And this is her quote from her, her nine-year-old entry. I'm hopeless. Oh, boy. I've got a lot of, to work on. I try to be obedient, but it's so hard. The more I read, the more I realize how bad I am. My problem is uh, that when things don't make sense to me, I don't like them. When dad gets mad at me for something, everything makes perfect sense to me in my mind. This is a nine-year-old, so, you know, so I tend to resent my parents' correction. I have just realized that I yearn to please the Lord, but why can't I? I just can't be good. It seems impossible. Why can't I be perfect? You know, I don't know if at the end of the day, that kind of feeling like constantly failing the Lord led to her rejection of Christ and her rejection of her faith. But, but I want to be careful this morning. I want to be careful because I, I want to communicate to you guys in the room and to you on live stream. I want to communicate. I'm not trying to say this. When we talk about the primacy of faith and saying that faith is believing, but it's also where we follow and we obey, I, I, don't, I want to be careful to fall in the tension here between faith is trusting Christ that leads me to act a certain way and somehow communicating to you that it's faith in some level of obedience that, that I have to measure up to some standard before God's going to love me and accept me. I've said this lots of times to you. God doesn't love you anymore because you're better today at faithfulness than you were yesterday. He loves us because he loves Jesus and he, he loves us and Jesus, Jesus is all we need. He's our Passover lamb. But having said all of that, I, just, I challenge us to put away the leaven, the leaven of sin in our lives, the evil and malice. We should be different. You know, I asked Clarence if I could tell you all this and so, you know, Clarence's struggling right now, and, uh, and he, uh, so he calls me this week, and he says, Jimmy, he says, what's my purpose in life? I don't know what my purpose is. And y'all know Clarence, he thinks really big, right? So he's like, what's my purpose in life? And some of you probably won't agree with this, okay? Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying this, to, I'd say it to you, Richard, just as quickly as I'd say it to Clarence. This is your purpose in life, to love God and love others. And, and just let Jesus, let Jesus just permeate, like, like, like the little video talked about how when we've been atoned, how we, we cleanse the ground all around us. I told Clarence, I said, Clarence, you just love God and you love people and you let Jesus just love other people through you. And that's your purpose. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.